Welcome to the Red Truck Rendezvous. I'm Aaron Shepard. This is Carol Callinger. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Truck Rendezvous. I'm Aaron Shepard, the Vice President of Safety for Sierra England, and... I'm Carol Killinger, a school manager here in Salt Lake City. And we've been picked to run this uh, uh, or host this podcast, I think, me for uh, not only my passion about all things safety, but uh, I bring a level of unpredictability, I believe, uh, which will make this entertaining. And then Carol, uh, I'm going to speak for her on this one, will definitely bring a spicy side to this podcast. And, uh, you oh. know... I'll admit, uh, spicy is a new word to describe me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been called a lot of things. Spicy, I like that sp- one. Spicy is good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the purpose of this podcast, uh, we want to get some safety information out to our fleet, but I understand if, if we ran this like a safety meeting, uh, people would probably turn out. And so the goal is to provide... Uh, not only information but entertainment to our drivers and office employees and every episode will be sponsored by a different safety principle so hopefully we get some safety uh, mixed in but but obviously we are going to uh, try to entertain you and provide information not just with safety but all things going on uh, at our at our company Carol uh, all things here England yeah what's happening what we're working on uh, projects and uh, events mainly too so you guys know what's how what's happening here at home so uh, an example i'll give you know the england family had all executives get their cdl a couple years ago not only did we get our cdl we had to we had to go out on a sorry let me rephrase that we got to go out on a driving trip it was an awesome experience i went on a couple delivered some loads uh but I was so used to, you know, I know the Englands. I see them in the hall. I talk to them. I know all the different people in the company. I see the students in backing. I watch them progress. I see everything going on. And when I got in the truck, I, after a few days of, of driving, I don't want to say it was a lonely feeling, but I certainly felt disconnected compared to what I would have felt working in an office where I know what we're doing with trucks. I'm in meetings <laughs> and we're talking about it. And uh, I definitely feel like, hey, if we can take some of the things that, that we experience here in the office, like, like today, we're going to interview Dan England here later today. Uh, you know Dan. I know Dan. We've talked to him forever. But I don't know that everyone gets the opportunity to do that. And uh, with us being on the same team, if you and I, Carol, have the opportunity to share stuff like that with our driver base, I think it's uh, – and, and even our office employees who don't have the, some of the same uh, opportunities or, or – or connections, uh, then yeah, it's a, it's a great and healthy thing. And uh, uh, we can talk about all sorts of different things. Uh, these podcasts, we're going to bring in people from industry, hopefully provide our drivers and our office employees with information that they may not normally have that they find entertaining. And uh, if you and I can tell some funny stories <laughs> and maybe ask some people some embarrassing questions from here and from time to time, maybe even get to know some of our drivers better. We plan on bringing drivers in and uh, hopefully you'll find it to be entertaining. But like I said before, uh, every episode we want to have kind of sponsored by uh, a, a safety topic. And our first episode uh, today, we definitely want to focus on distracted driving. Uh, distracted driving is a is a really big issue. Uh, Carol, do you drive distracted? Currently, no. I, I mean, 
I'll be completely honest. Prior to uh, managing the Salt Lake City School, um, I didn't know all the You're one the of those rules. horrible people that we'd see text a light? Uh, at a light, yeah. Um, obviously, if I had anybody else in the car with me, like my grandkids, never. But alone at a red light, yeah, I'd respond to text messages or I sometimes I play music off my phone instead of out of my radio. And so I change the music on my phone at, you know, as you're stopped at a red light. Absolutely. Sure. Nowadays, um, I figured out how to turn on my no distracted driving on my iPhones and both my phones get them. And so my kids know, my husband knows, everyone knows that if they get that, they have to call me for hands-free talking to me or they have to wait until I get home. There's, oh, that's great. Yeah, I don't I don't take it lightly anymore because I talk about this every single morning with all the students that come here to Salt Lake City. And A, I've learned so much from it. And B, I want to be the example. I mean, I can't tell my students not to do it if I'm doing it. Well, I, so. need, <clears throat> I don't even have my phone set up that way. That's a good idea. Yeah. We may have to leave a tutorial on how to do that unless it's fairly intuitive no it's fairly easy you just and and now uh with the apple watch too like your watch will do it too so it oh. just syncs with your phones and you just turn this no distracted driving on and they get a cute little message that says sorry i'm currently driving and so if it's like really important they have to actually call you and so it comes through my bluetooth on my car but if not they wait till i get home and then i get all the text messages and there's no i'm safe all the way home oh that's awesome yeah well, you're you're actually the first person I, in in preparation for for today. I've been asking people if they ever drive distracted, and there are a bunch of liars out there because uh, <laughs> I haven't had anyone really admit to me that you see it all the time, right? As yeah, no, that's the parking that's, lot. That's my point. Every morning when I come in, I stopped counting, but you know, my I have a 25 minute commute to the office every day, and inevitably. I see a handful of people texting and driving, you know, on their way to work. And I'm not talking about, you know, quick glancing. I mean, holding the phone in their hand, full-blown, maybe, you know, steering with an elbow. And it's an epidemic. Coffee in one hand, cell phone yeah. in the other. I see it every morning as I drive in. And I'm like, if you could just sit in on some of our safety conversations, you would understand what kind of danger you're putting yourself into. Yeah, so, I mean... Years ago, I drove distracted. I think I've been fairly connected to some of the perils distracted driving can have and made a decision a long time ago to just just not do that. But uh, but there are a lot of people who just aren't naturally risk-adverse that don't understand the, the consequences of, of distracted driving. First, it's a crime. Uh, <clears throat> I even had a question not too long ago brought by a driver. Is it a crime if your foot's on the brake and you're stopped by a light? I can verify it. It is. It would still be a misdemeanor. So it's, if you're in control of that vehicle, there's nothing that says you can't pull over and, and stop your car and park and, and text. But if you're texting or reading your phone at a light, that would be uh, distracted driving uh, crime, which isn't an infraction. It's a misdemeanor in most locations. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that that hey you're doing something illegal is a is a super compelling argument for for drivers in the public to avoid distracted driving but there really are some really compelling statistics uh i want to share before we get into other stuff but nine people die daily from distracted driving in in america's roads uh that's so incredible i guess that doesn't seem like i mean you had that up over the course of a year 
you think, okay, that's hundreds of <laughs> that's yeah. hundreds of dead people from phones. I think I think nationally it's not getting the the attention it deserves. But the 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 one that really caught me the the stat that caught me off guard was texting and driving is actually six times more likely to cause a fatal crash than drunk driving. My goodness. And I mean, we anyone in the in the trucking business have seen videos of drunk drivers swaying, you know, swerving all over. Uh, it's crazy to me to think that you know phone use and distracted driving and not paying attention is is that much worse but it is and so uh, and back to your point of the nine deaths a day just so we're clear nine deaths a day may not sound like a lot but in a whole year it's 3,285 lives we could prevent from dying yeah and if one of those I mean, lives is someone you love then obviously it hits it, home a lot more than others and you know in in a recent safety video we've got we've got a a great video that talks to the victims and the drivers of distracted driving accidents and the pain that the not only the victims felt but the drivers you know having to go explain themselves in court to families and 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 serve prison time and uh yeah it's one of those things where you know if we can accomplish one thing today i mean i don't really we'll make some people laugh and we'll get to know dan a little bit better but if we can convince a couple people that hey enough's enough put your phone away uh i think we got a good fleet most most of our drivers get this point but in in my position in safety you know if someone's doing something uh ridiculously unsafe it usually makes it by my desk and over the years i've seen examples of drivers even watching videos while they drive mm -hmm. i mean it's amazing and uh i can't imagine you know uh it's just it's just physics but an eighty thousand pound truck you know, not stopping for a small car. You know, those are those are really bad accidents, and uh, they can be avoided. So uh, <clears throat> that's kind of our plea. We've got a couple of distracted driving commercials that we'll play throughout the podcast today. But uh, uh, you know, between Carol and I, if we can convince you to to uh, put your phone down while you're driving, use a hands-free device. Not only is it company policy. But you just you it's don't. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's just the it's right just thing the to right do. You don't want to. Wanna, do. You don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to hurt yourself. Uh, I tell it to my students every morning, just so you know. Yeah. And I know that you're the VP of safety, and I'm the school manager. But you've known me for a long time, and every job I've had here at Sierra England, I've taken personal. Like it, I make it yeah. my own. And I get to, to a know. Point, to a point, it's scary. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> that's why we love you. Well, yeah. So. I mean, I get to know these students, right? And honestly, when I look at the accident reports, I immediately, 90% of the time, I know who that student was that was in that accident. And my biggest fear is really that I don't get through to students enough to say, look, for whatever reason you're in this industry, put your phone down. You know, there's if it's because you wanted to see the country, well, you're not going to see the country if you've got your cell phone in front of your face, right? So... Um, do what you want to do. If it's a long-time career that you want here, well, that phone in your hand is not going to contribute to that long-term career, you know. Um, so we do talk about it every single month. We talk about what the fines are and what the ultimate goal could be, right? Yeah. Save someone's life or 
you know, be dumb and text on your phone and cause <coughs> someone to no longer be here. That's an awful, I can't even imagine what that would be like waking up every morning and thinking, I replied to a text message and therefore caused an accident that took someone's yeah. life. It, there's just not a text message that's worth that. Well, it, and it's it's not lost on me when I'm, you know, being someone who works in, in an office setting, I've got... I'm lucky if I drive an hour and a half, two hours a day after after work. And so the commitment for me to avoid distracted driving is a smaller commitment than someone who drives professionally for a living. You know, I, mm-hmm. I get calls, messages, things all day long that, well, you'll in the middle of a meeting, I can pick up my phone and respond to if my son has a, has a you know, can he have money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or, uh, if my wife's got me picking something up home, I can respond. Whereas you're driving a truck, it takes more discipline. Than that so it's it's not lost on me that we're not asking something more than than you know what us office dwelling Englanders have to have to commit to. But uh, it certainly is important. It's important, and it is a sacrifice. If you're one of the people that's making it that sacrifice for us, we are super appreciative and. If you haven't to this point and you've been cheating and you've been lucky, make the change and we're going to forever be uh, grateful that you're doing the right thing. You know, safety is one of our core values. I'm not just saying that because it's my job. Uh, Like Carol's passionate about her stuff, I'm passionate about mine, and I don't want to have any of you have accidents uh, where you could potentially get hurt or hurt somebody else. And so, again, kind of a Kind of a downer topic. There's nothing super exciting about that, but uh, but if you guys can commit and gals can commit today to put those phones away, and <clears throat> you know, distracted driving. We I, I always think cell phone texting. It's more than that. You know, you can't go to your bunk and make a bowl of cereal and not <laughs> and not have an accident. <laughs> uh, you know, if you think you're going to tie a shoe while you're driving, that would be distracted driving. Uh, the trucks are so big, uh, they weigh so much. Taking your eyes off the road, it's just, it's just, it's just Split bad news. Second. Yeah. Split second. Yeah. So, uh, again, if you're if you're already if you're already committed to avoiding distracted driving, uh, your company is super appreciative of you, and uh, and we're 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 very grateful. If you haven't, let's make the chance today. So we're going to cut to a, a distracted driving commercial, and we're going to come back with uh dan england uh i'm so excited about this actually i'm kind of i've known i mean i've worked here 17 years i love dan uh i think i think dan's dan's probably like what have i gotten myself into letting (laughs) letting aaron interview me with carol uh we'll be nice to him but here's he's not in the room right now but when he gets when he gets in here uh you know our goal with dan is you know, over the years, I've had the the opportunity to not only have dinner at his house, granted with a bunch of other people, but have several conversations with him and get to know him a little bit. And you'll get the opportunity to uh, get to know him a little bit better, which I think is something you'll be looking forward to. So, okay. Thank you. And we'll see you soon. When driving, it is easy to feel you have control of the vehicle. The scenery has looked the same for the last 93 miles. Other vehicles seem sparse, and you have a notification waiting for you on your phone. You think everything will be fine. You'll just take a quick peek at your phone and then set it aside. Then, 
A car cut off your vehicle, and you weren't paying attention for those few seconds to take action. Virginia Tech Transportation Institute found that text messaging, browsing, and dialing a call resulted in the longest duration of drivers taking their eyes off the road. Text messaging increases the risk of crash and near crash by two times and results in drivers taking their eyes off the road for an average of 23 seconds per text. That's a lot of ground, but it can also be hard to visualize, so let's break it down a bit. A truck going 60 miles per hour will travel 88 feet per second. 23 seconds with your eyes off the road would mean 2,024 feet traveled. That's just under half a mile traveled, which also equates to five and a half football fields or the height of two Empire State Buildings. Even if you take your eyes off the road for five seconds, you still travel the length of two football fields. That's too far. Too much can happen in that time. Conditions can change. Surrounding vehicles or objects may become a hazard, and your reaction time is significantly reduced. The notification can wait. You can browse, dial, message, and talk later when stopped in a safe location. Do not drive distracted. Okay, everybody, we are back with Dan England, the chairman of our company. I don't know who's more scared of this interview, Dan, me and the possible consequences it could have on my career, or you uh, being under the, uh, the bright lights with me asking questions. Well, so. this is uh, quite an experience, sitting across the table and look directly into your face. It's yeah, scary. I would look at your notes or look at the table. That'll make it a lot easier for okay. you. But, a little easier. But we want to thank you for coming today. For, for those of you don't, that don't know, Dan is the chairman of our company. Uh, Third generation, your dad's gene, the, I would say the, probably the most famous of us. That's right. That's absolutely right. Who just turned 100. Uh, what, was it, what was it like growing up in a trucking family? You know, our company's having its 100th anniversary, so I do the math. You're not 100 years old yet, so you grew up in, you grew up in trucking. That's right. Uh, it was, uh, well, I never do any, knew anything different. Uh, uh, it was always exciting to go to work with my dad. Uh, when I was a kid, I mean, our truck, our company had, oh gosh, like in the 50s, we had uh, 10 to 20 trucks along through. I mean, I remember all those early trucks individually. I remember because I washed them and I. Did they have numbers serviced. on them? Oh, yeah. They all had numbers on them. They had them. The number was in the middle of the bumper. We had big polished aluminum bumpers back in in those days. Okay. But uh, every one of those trucks, say, you know, I'm thinking of maybe up through about 25, they all had their own, had their own peculiarities about them, and uh, we knew them well. Did you have a favorite truck? Well, uh, <clears throat> number nine stands out. It was one that uh, my older brother Jeff fixed up and uh, had big stacks on it, and, you know, everything that was available in terms of chrome and and glitz and it was all decked out yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely but you know growing up in the business i mean that was as a kid and i'm sure my brothers would say the same thing that uh, you know the highlight of our lives was going to work with our dad and uh, at that time we lived in ogden and uh, he commuted to salt lake to work and so we on on saturdays we'd go back and forth with him and so did, did he work long hours i assume oh yeah well he at that time he 
<clears throat> of course, this continued through much of his life, but he, he drove the truck a lot, and so he was gone a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was our mom who was keeping us... Uh, Keeping us on the, the right path. So she can mm-hmm. she can turn to she can turn to Jean and say, "Hey, get Dan in, in check." She had to do it herself. Uh, well, she she'd always threaten that you're going to get yours <laughs> when your dad gets home. But, but uh, our dad was a cream puff. I mean, he'd just say, well, "Tell your mom I talked to you and that uh, you're not going to do it again." That was basically it. So uh, in your in your dad's book, I he gave me a copy, but he had uh, a story where. You fell 12 to 15 feet off a balcony as a kid and just bounced right up. Is is that when you started caring about safety, or was it long after that? Well, I was four at the time, so I wasn't thinking too deeply about <laughs> anything. But uh, uh, some may say that I uh, sustained a little brain damage in that injury, and it's reflected itself ever in my life ever yeah. since. I wonder how smart you would have been. It would probably be amazing. Right. I mean, you got a law degree and everything. Right. If, I Only mean, Aaron. If you lost 30 brain cells, you Jeez, may. Have... I could go. I could. My IQ could go up by 30 points, and I'd still only be at 100. But anyway. well, we know we know better than that. But so, when did you start driving for for England? Did 16? Did they give you the keys to a truck or or? Well, it wasn't. Uh, it was a whole different environment than with my dad. I mean, I started. You know, I was always driving trucks around the yard, say from 14, 15 on. But as far as as far as on the road, no, I didn't. I, I really didn't drive on the road, other than maybe once in a while when I'd go on a trip with my dad, he'd let me take the wheel. But but uh, strictly on my own, I probably didn't, didn't do that until I was 21. Did he have you do all the lumping for him, or did he help you go through well, watermelons? Or because my dad has always been a hard worker, and yeah. uh, but uh, so my brothers and I, we just. Uh, Look to him as the example, and we'd, we'd work as hard as he would, which was pretty hard. That's awesome. So do you have any, from being a truck, I don't think a lot of our, our drivers realize how much driving you, your brothers, your dad have actually done. Do you have any real memorable trips from, from all your years out there driving? <clears throat> well, you know, that's... Uh... Gosh, I, I, I've racked my brain to think about any particularly memorable trips. Uh, you know, every truck driver can relate to this, but it seems like every trip I go on, there's uh, some sort of issue that comes up, a problem that develops, whether it's with the equipment or, you know, the routing or illness or whatever it may be. Do you blame our equipment guy like I do every time? <laughs> That's my favorite. Well, I mumble <laughs> under my breath, but... Uh, it's always something, but you know, I had a very memorable trip just back in December. I took two of my grandsons, uh, uh, 14 and 15 year olds. Uh, you didn't let them drive, did you? Uh, absolutely not. But, uh, <laughs> okay, good. Times have changed. <laughs> Times are way different now, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, we uh, actually, what happened is we flew to Boston, and there we picked up a truck that had been preloaded with uh, Christmas wreaths, 4,000 Christmas wreaths. And um, uh, this was a part of a program called Wreaths Across America. A lot of uh, a lot of our drivers may know about that. Uh, some uh, so a family that grew Christmas trees up in it was Maine or Vermont, I forget, but uh, uh, they found that they had a lot of extra boughs uh, when they finished trimming these trees and so forth. And th- this is like 20, 30 years, maybe longer ago. And now they donate uh, over a million wreaths a year to be placed on national cemetery on the graves of uh, veterans in national cemeteries and so what my 
grandsons and I did as we drove the truck. I drove the truck from Boston down to uh, Washington, D.C., to the Arlington National Cemetery. And so that was a... Were you guys able to participate in placing some of the wreaths out as well? or We did, yes. What an amazing and, uh, experience. It was an amazing experience. Uh, and uh, there were, I think, uh, I think there's like uh, 60,000 graves and grave sites there, and wreaths were placed on each one of them. There were 150 trucks like ours, other trucks, uh, and all volunteered to uh, haul those wreaths down there. And there were probably... There were tens of thousands of volunteers in the cemetery at that time. And so they were there, uh, they were either uh, doing service or they were there as relatives of people who had been laid to rest there. And so what you do is you'd take a wreath and you'd carry it up to a, to a grave, a headstone, and you'd lean it against the headstone. You'd, the protocol was that you'd just uh, say the name of the individual who was buried there. And so the whole thing, it was like, 60, like I said, about 60,000 grave sites, and that was all accomplished in like an hour and a half because there were so many volunteers. That's, pretty, That's incredible. Pretty heavy situation yeah, for a couple of uh, 14, 15 year olds, too. To well, there are a couple of in. knuckleheads. I mean, they'd stayed up the <laughs> night before <coughs> playing uh, video games. I, well, what happened is I, they were in a separate hotel room from me, and uh, they decided to do, pull an old all nighter. Oh. And uh, so they weren't. Uh, uh, they were interested in spending time in the sleeper, but but I did get them out and have them place some wreaths on on headstones. But it was just a fun experience to be with my grandkids. That is great. Yeah, as a as a grandma, I can't even imagine what an amazing experience that would be. Yeah, that they, is and they're cool. great kids, and uh, uh, it's just fun to be with them. That's awesome. So. I'm just not great at segues, Dan. I'm just going to go question to question, and if it doesn't feel natural, then just blame me, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, most people don't know you're a lawyer. Maybe they do. Are there any similarities to, to being a lawyer and running a trucking company or being a truck driver? What's, they're pretty different professions. Well, they are, but uh, as in any profession or, or, or business, uh, uh, you know, hard work is, uh, is what helps you succeed in the same way in both. Uh, being a lawyer is a is, is a hard job, and so is being in the trucking industry. So, uh, I mean, the, the parallels are there. I re I think really with any job anywhere, you you work hard, you work smart, and you'll succeed. Do you ever consider being a lawyer full time instead of this whole trucking racket? Or well, when I graduated from uh, law school and <clears throat> and I went to work for a law firm, I worked for a couple of law firms over uh, some years, and um, yeah, there was a time when I considered just continuing law practice but it turned out I was doing so much work for our family trucking business that it, it just seemed more practical for me to be working for the company. If I remember right you were doing you were practicing law right in the time deregulation was happening right? Well yeah I mean I went to work for the company in 1977 and what I was mostly doing at the time was filing uh, see back in those days you had to have a license uh, from the from the government to haul most any type of product or, or yeah. goods and uh, so that's what I was doing was applying for licenses for our company to haul those goods then in 1980 the industry was deregulated uh, just prior to that uh, it's kind of ironic but just I think it was in 78 or 79 we succeeded in getting a general commodities authority for the whole US so in other words that we could haul anything but then just a year or two later the whole industry was deregulated so anybody could haul anything at that point 
Okay, Dan, over the years, you've worked with some of the country's most prestigious companies. Is there anything you've learned from customers that you've been able to make our organization better? Well, um, <clears throat> gosh, yeah, we, we've worked with some of the largest companies in, in America as far as, you know, there being our customers, uh, Nestle, Nestle Foods, uh, Walmart, Target. Uh, gosh, the list just goes on and on. And, uh, <clears throat> yes, we've learned from them. Uh, of course, the, the, mo the most important thing we, we need to understand and execute on is being able to service, service each account. And by getting to know the leadership of these companies a little better, we understand how, uh, how determined they are to, to serve their customers to the highest level they possibly can. And they want us, uh, you know, we're, we're a big part of the supply chain, and, uh, and uh, they want us to make them look good, in, in essence, for their customers. And so we've, we've learned how to use uh, good leadership principles in in executing all the things we need to execute on to be a successful business and therefore be uh, a valued partner with some of these big companies. Yeah, they can't be good if we're not good. That's right? correct. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. Well, the, f the first load I ever delivered, uh, actually not too long ago, I worked here several years before I got my CDL with our executive CDL program, <clears throat> but the first load I delivered was a, a load of Arrowhead water and now I see it everywhere. It's like, that's my water. <laughs> I feel yeah. a sense of, I feel a sense of, and we stock it in our shelves here that. too, right? But, uh, you know, I, and I've only delivered a few loads. I haven't, not like someone who's done it for years, but is there a product in your mind that stands out that just reminds you of a trip like, like Arrowhead Water does to me uh, that kind of brings you back? Well, I just, uh, I remember sp uh, making a uh, commenting to my wife that uh, as we'd see a, a given product somewhere that, hey, that probably came here on our truck. But uh, let, me, let me give you some, <clears throat> some nightmares in terms of freight. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, back in the day, and I'm talking back in the 50s and 60s, you know, we used to haul bulk grain. In other words, they just uh, put a piece of plywood across, and that time we had side doors across the side door. And, and and blocking the back doors in the trailer. In fact, they'd leave one door closed. They'd never open that. If you did, you're in trouble. But it, just a piece of plywood, then they'd, uh, through a chute, they'd load the trailer with bulk grain. So it was just 40,000 pounds of just bulk grain. And uh, I remember a time, I remember more than one time, when one of those boards would blow out for one reason or another. It would break, and the grain would come just come out of the trailer onto the ground we had to reload it uh we sh shovel it back in first of all you'd have to be able to get a board back in there how do you shovel forty thousand pounds of grain the, back in a trailer well it carefully. was not you know <laughs> Very you, there, there may have been you know, <laughs> know may have been a few thousand pounds that came out yeah but that was hard work another unusual thing that we did at one time <clears throat> well a couple of things one we hauled bulk halibut so, uh, you know, imagine big halibut uh, weighing maybe 30, 40, 50 pounds, and they had their heads cut off, and they were just frozen and then loaded into the trailer. And, uh, and talk about an awkward thing to unload is you just, you know, you grab those things. and You would have to hand unload hand frozen unload. halibut? I mean, all, yes, yes. I mean, I'll bet your hands would I mean, like fish again, for it was, a year. It was just thrown in there in bulk. It's not like they were on pallets or anything. Another thing that we did, um, 
Back in the day, we used to haul mink food. And I don't know if you know what mink food is. Oh, I have is. no idea. It's fish guts is essentially what it is. What's, what's that? And they, they were in tr- to, for, to feed mink. Oh, okay. And so they were, um, they were in trays about three or four inches. It was actually cardboard, about three or four inches high on the sides. And it was about, oh, maybe two feet by two feet. And they were filled, filled with frozen uh, mink food. And, you know, as the temperature warmed up, uh, so would, uh, you, didn't, you didn't have a reefer on this trailer then, or did was able yeah, to keep we, it frozen? We, yeah, we, we were able to keep it frozen, but I mean, the you smell know, still. The, you, the smell was just overwhelming. Oh you'd gosh. go to the truck stop. You you couldn't lose your trailer that way. You could just smell your way back. That's right. right that's right. It's like it's like uh, pulling up next to a cattle hauler or something. You know, you, the smell just you know penetrated everything. But but those were just you know way back in the day. Some of the very unusual things we did. Well, I like my my water memory is at least uh, a, a positive one. Um, if I had to think about fish guts, but you know, yeah, yeah. that's a rough one. I wouldn't well, want to haul fish guts. And in those days, I mean, it was rare that you ever. And I'm just talking about more conventional freight now, uh, boxed freight or whatever it may be. Uh, it was rare that you ever had pallet, palletized loads. It was always yeah. hand loaded and hand unloaded. Yeah, that's a lot of work. We've come a long ways. Uh, I actually have never delivered a load yet. I say yet, maybe one day. I don't know. But uh, I want you to know that uh, in 11 years, every time I drive past a Sierra England truck, I always thank them. So my husband and I are famous for taking road trips all the time. And I see them, all, obviously, all over the country. And so I don't have a... You're the crazy air- lady waving at them? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. You guys I, probably know Carol then. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I look at the truck number. I kind of see who it is driving. Um, I've even, uh, a while ago, ran into a student that came through Salt Lake City at a gas station down by St. George. And I went in, bought some goodies for the road trip, came back out, and he was in there. And it was just weird to s- that you run into someone like that, right? Like, I'm like, hey, yeah. I know you. And he's like, oh, school manager, Salt Lake City. I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah. It was, it was really neat for me. But um, I think every one of those trucks that drives by, it's, yeah. I don't have a delivery story. Always lot. wonder what they're hauling. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, uh, you know, as, as we go out from time to time on a truck, when I say we, my, uh, myself and my sons, uh, we always take the opportunity when we're in a truck stop, if there are other England trucks there, we always go around and say hello to them, usually give them a hat and that sort of thing, and uh, and just tell them how much we appreciate them, because we do. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard work. Speaking of hard work, so earlier you said you started working, we had 25 trucks? Well, in the 50s, you know, I mean, we started with, uh, when my dad and uncle got home from World War II, I mean, I had one truck and two, three, four, five. Uh, I think by th- uh, 1960, we had about 20. Yeah. And so when I was just, I was born in 1947. So as I was a kid, you know, most of the times we, we had less than 20 trucks. So by the time from, from when you started working in the company to when you turned it over to your boys, uh, not that you're not still involved, uh, but... How many trucks did we grow? I mean, thousands, right? Well, when I came to the company after practicing law, that was in uh, that was in seventy uh, seven, yeah, seventy seven, and uh, we had one hundred seventy five trucks at that point, and so yeah, it was the huge growth occurred in the eighties uh, and nineties, continued into the two thousands, but 
Yeah, there was huge growth, particularly in the 80s and 90s. So how did you and your brothers not only not only compete but thrive enough to add that many trucks? I mean, this is one of the most competitive industries there is, right? You just buy a truck and you're in business. And well, you, you have any any insights on things you guys did to get us to the point we're at today? Well, one of the things was that we mentioned deregulation before. And uh, as the industry was deregulated, which meant that anybody could haul any freight anywhere, uh, <clears throat> the, the first thing that new competitors did to get the business was to cut the rates. And so, uh, you know, the biggest trucking companies in the country were struggling because their their costs were too high. And as other competitors came in, they could operate more uh, inexpensively. And, uh, and so, so many of these bigger trucking companies began to fail. And over the course of the next uh, 20 years, uh, about 90 of the top 100 carriers in, in, the, in, the, in the country had gone out of business. And so as this was happening, as carriers that's were big, failing... That's a big percentage. That is a big percentage. Yeah. As these companies were failing, there were new opportunities. And so those of us who, you know, we were really kind of a have-not in terms of, uh, you know, being a trucking company... Uh, I, I always considered the big trucking companies before deregulation as the, the haves, and we were kind of the have-nots yeah. because we didn't have the authority to operate. So um, they just, they just, so many of them struggled to get their costs down to where they could remain profitable, and so many of them failed. That opened up new opportunities for our company, and that's why we grew, grew so fast. We offered a superior service, and um, uh, we, we were able to, we had the means to buy the equipment, and uh, we were able to find enough drivers, and so that led to big growth. Our customers liked what we were doing and continued to give us more freight. I guess that's the key, right? If your customers like you, they'll use you, and if not, they have plenty of options. It's all so, about their perception of you. Yeah. Well, as you know, we're celebrating our 100-year anniversary this year as a company. Uh, I started here 17 years ago. I can't imagine... I remember bragging that we were almost 90. Now, now it's 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 been a long time. But uh, I know we're going to have a big celebration this summer. But are you and your family are you going to do anything special to celebrate? Any insights? Well, I uh, no, I don't think there's. Yeah, we're going to have a big celebration this summer. But you know, we've just been through a lot of big celebrations with my dad. Yeah. Uh, you know, his birthday was in October when he turned 100. So he was. He was born just before the company was started. And uh, so, yeah, we look forward to it. You know, it's funny. I, I remember it, it seems like we, we had a trailer uh, branded back uh, when we were 75 years old. And it said, it said on it, 75 years of England in America. That was kind of the theme uh, for, to celebrate our, our 75th year. That's an and, antique now. Yeah, and, <laughs> and to think that we're now at 100 years, it's... I still have a hard time wrapping yeah. my arms around it. And, you know, as a growing up in the business and then uh, leading the company for so many years, <clears throat> it's it's funny. You're so busy. You're so involved. You're, uh, at least with me, you don't, uh, you don't often pause and think what has transpired, what's gone before. You're always so focused on the future. And so, but this, this is quite a milestone. And yeah. so... Uh, you know, with our customers and with our employees, with everyone associated with the company, yeah, we're trying to make it uh, 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 
talk about what 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 has transpired in the company, uh, what it how difficult it is to take a company, a family-run company, and have it run into the fourth generation and have it do it successfully. So yeah, we'll be doing a lot of celebrating this year. So speaking of the future, what what are your hopes for the next hundred years? I, I hope you're here till you're a hundred and seventy or whatever it is. But uh, <laughs> but but well, if you had to, if you had to have hopes for uh, you know for the next hundred years of our company, is there anything in your mind that you could say, hey, I hope this is what we evolve to? Well, we 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 clearly want to continue to grow, but more importantly, we want to continue to be <clears throat> we want to. Uh, uh, be be able to offer a superior service to our customers. Uh, we want to be you know profitable so that we can uh, reinvest in the in the company and the fleet and so forth. Uh, you know it's it's interesting as you look back over the last fifty years uh, at American business, uh, uh, look at America in general, the kinds of changes and advancements we've seen in technology, uh, anything to do with electronics. Uh, it's incredible what we've seen, and yeah. and you know a lot of the, uh, some of the real icons of the industry have really suffered as uh, new businesses like Apple and Microsoft and and so many others, uh, Uber and Tesla. Uh, you know they've they've reinvented their segment spaces. Uh, you know with trucking, uh, we too want to be keep uh, keep ourselves abreast with changes. We want to embrace the best technologies, uh, not the newest technologies necessarily, yeah. but the best to allow us continue to, to continue doing the job we're doing. Where, whereas a lot of industries have become somewhat obsolete over these last 50 years, ours has not. Ours is very vital. We will continue to have drivers in those trucks uh, doing the, the great jobs they do. And so we're just excited to continue that and become, you know, we'd like to become a bigger player in our segment, but uh, more importantly, just a, a vital player, one that people look to and respect. Respect and trust. And yeah. If you have a descendant that decides to change our trucks from red to blue, are you going to come back and haunt, haunt them? Oh, from the grave. The, yeah, although, you know, there have been some different iterations yeah. on our trucks over the years. There was a time when we had kind of a little deeper, more of a blood red for a period of time. Uh, there was a time when uh, uh, we had like the hood, and there was a, there was a stripe that ran along the hood and the doors, and uh, above that it was white, and below it was red. That was a very short period of time because nobody liked it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we've we've had some changes. Our, our classic red trucks are just awesome. That's right. Hopefully, none of your descendants mess that up. Well, and decided changes to a yellow truck someday or something. I'd be. No. I'll help you haunt. Even I was just thinking about this the other day. Even when we were up into the thousands of trucks, you know, maybe between a thousand, two thousand, we used to pinstripe every one of those trucks. Yeah. Of course, we don't do that anymore. But uh, there's just too many. Yeah. But that was one thing that kind of set us apart a little bit. Well, they're they're pretty trucks, but I wouldn't be able to tell if you start changing colors. No, as we're driving through the country, you can tell exactly a Sierra oh, England yeah. truck. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it a it's a very leave distinctive look. As you know, we've we've messed around with our trailer, uh, the look of our trailers. Uh, we've had different iterations of that, and uh, you know, uh, for quite a few years here recently. In the last couple of decades, we've had on the back of our trailers, on 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 the sides of the trailer, but near the back, we had some of the services we offered, 
you know, depictions of intermodal and dedicated and that sort of thing. But we've gotten back to more of the original retro look now uh, with some changes. But uh, it's a look I I love and I think uh, everyone in leadership of the company loves. So if I was going to use some metaphor, I would say your haircut is the truck. It's pretty consistent. It's been the same (laughs) since I've known you, sir. But... Your facial hairstyle is the trailer. You mix it up every once in a while. So That's right. For those yeah. that don't know Dan, uh, if you go back and look at, you know, I have had the luxury of being in meetings where we're showing, you know, 40, 50 years of company history. You've had some pretty killer mustaches over the years. Oh, yeah. When I went, uh, when I went into the Army, uh, well, even before I went into the Army, I grew, I grew a mustache. And... Uh, uh, I surprised all my friends with how good of a mustache I could grow. And uh, and so when I met my wife for the first time, I'd, I'd always had a mustache. We dated for nine months, then we got married. And uh, and that's she'd only ever known me with a mustache. And when I went into the Army, uh, they made me shave it off. They made everybody shave off all their facial hair. And so when I went home after summer camp, it was an adjustment for her to see me without a mustache, so I quickly grew one grew back. back. <laughs> yeah, they'd let you grow it back, but yeah. just to, I guess, to show who was boss, they made you shave it off yeah. once, and then you could grow it back. So I had a mustache for probably 20, 25 years, and there was a period of time where I had a goatee. But uh, Do you have a favorite mustache style from the from the days? Or? Well, back in the 70s, you know, geez, long, <laughs> the handlebar? Uh, long hair, long sideburns. <laughs> Handlebar mustache, that sort of thing. Do you, do you grow the best mustache in the England family? Do any of your brothers or sons uh, compete with you? Uh, in terms of my brothers. Chad's got a pretty good beard. I think I've got them hands down. Do you? Uh, but, you know, the thickest beard is probably my son, Zach. He's probably got the thickest. Chad is also very good. Yeah. And, you know, TJ now has a, has a beard. Uh, yeah. Josh, he's he never. Can't, Josh can't grow one. No, no, I think he can. He just never has. He's never chosen not to. to. Yeah, he's probably going to come yell at me when he he's, hears this. He's always had the the clean cut image. Yeah, he looks good. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna brag about you a little bit here. Uh, you were the chairman of the American Trucking Association at one point. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. You were also the chairman or <laughs> or, or president. Correct me of the TCA. Truckload Carrier Association, yeah. yeah. Are you the only person that's held both positions? No, no. There would have been there would have been several that have that have done that. Uh, I guess we got started as a company. We got started in the Truckload Carriers Association, and as the name implies, I mean it's 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 truckload carriers from around the country, and this is their association. And we got started going to their meetings in probably the uh, mid '80s, uh, early '90s, and. So, yeah, they're a lobbying group on behalf of uh, – uh, actually, uh, TCA is more about benchmarking with one another to become uh, better. We benchmark in safety and we uh, benchmark in maintenance uh, particularly. And, and so it's a, it's a means of learning from uh, others and trying to get better at what you do. The American Trucking Association is more about lobbying. So uh, we try to lobby for for – legislation that would uh, uh, help our industry and help us operate more uh, more efficiently. Uh, a lot of what we do has direct impact on drivers uh, where they've limited the hours of service or made us take rest breaks and and just had unreal unrealistic proposals on 
on how we operate our trucks and the hours we operate. And so we've relied upon our drivers to uh, uh, to tell us what they think about proposed legislation and try and uh, lobby for legislation that is more pro-driver and more trucking. Yeah, it protects our, our drivers. Well, it's a, it's a pretty selfless thing to do. I mean, when... How long were you in Washington? It was almost a year? Well, I, uh, geez, uh, uh, with the TCA, I did, uh, there wasn't all that much <laughs> traveling. I mean, I was in Washington quite a bit, but uh, as chairman of the American Trucking Associations, I mean, I was, uh, that that one year, I was traveling uh, most of the time. I, I was not just going to Washington, but I was going to a lot of different states. I think I went to like 20 or 25 different states where we would uh, – uh, we would promote the, our industry and try to get the state trucking associations to join with us in in pursuing whatever causes we were pursuing. Protect our, protect our drivers and our, That's right. our industry. That's correct. Yeah, there's a lot of competing forces there. Uh, is is there any any experience uh, from your your time at the American Trucking Association that that stands out as 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 kind of a moment? where you were able to, to, to make a difference for trucking or for, I know you worked on a lot of causes. Is there one that stands out that, that you're really passionate about and, and you may or may not have gotten something done? I know it's Washington. And yeah, it is Washington. It's, uh, boy, it's tough to get anything done back there. But uh, uh, as a general rule, I think uh, in the areas of safety, we were able to accomplish a lot, maybe not so much with, uh, Congress, but with the agency to okay. promote things that uh, uh, regulations that would uh, promote safety and not be detrimental to it. I mean, sometimes you get these, you know, uh, uh, regulators, these uh, bureaucrats who've never been in a truck and they're promoting all sorts of crazy well, things. The, the safest thing to do is shut all the trucks down, right? That's right. Yeah. If you just got rid of all the trucks, you wouldn't have any accidents. Yeah, you wouldn't have milk either. That's right. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of the people uh, or water. Yeah, or water. Or, or arrowhead water. water. Like, yeah. No arrowhead water. No arrowhead water. But uh, generally, uh, we were if you were able to get to the real decision makers, you were were able to uh, uh, get to the get to the uh, kind of conclusion that you wanted to look good so dan you've worked with your not only your dad but your brothers and now your sons your whole career your whole i don't want to make it sound like it's too long but your long career you've worked with family pretty much the whole time uh what would you describe as the the challenges and then the benefits of working with family and business i don't know if my family would want to work with me all the time I'll just put it out there i don't think that i could do that I don't know. I, and I love my family. My, my We're really, yeah. really close. You know my family, too. Yeah. But, but I, man, it's, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it depends on the family, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's what it comes down to. Uh, we all know of stories of, uh, uh, you know, siblings that have gotten together and started a business and tried to work together. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, then when you get into the second generation, the odds of, things blowing up get even greater and and here we are on the fourth generation now you know there's there's we we haven't had any in terms of uh, of my siblings i mean i've not had a sibling who has ever been somebody who uh, was hard to get along with or who didn't have a good work ethic or uh, wanted to 
You never felt like going upstairs and giving a brother a wedgie after something? That's or? right. <laughs> no, no, we didn't have that. But, uh, yeah, it, we, we've always, uh, I'm speaking in terms of my brothers, and we've really followed the example of my dad and uncle in that yeah, we've always been. They worked together. Yeah. yeah, they worked together, and so we've always been uh, deferential to one another. I just, just this morning I was in a meeting with my brothers where we were, uh, were in the process of uh, compiling a history of the company during our years of presiding over the company. And uh, so we're getting that started. But, you know, I have a great relationship with my brothers. Uh, one of the things that we've learned through the generations is that uh, uh, difficulty or Ill, Ill will or bad feelings can develop often if the ownership gets spread too far and wide. And so starting with my dad and my uncle, uh, my dad, our side of the family, bought out my uncle so that my dad's family, myself, my dad, myself, and my brothers, we became the owners of the company. And now, uh, you know, we're in the process. I'm, my family is in the process of buying out my brother's. So it's it's my family that has now been in in the the ownership and leadership of the company, and uh, what my four sons do is uh, I don't know that's up to them. But uh, in this this uh, this method that we've uh, fallen upon has uh, allowed the company to not uh, be jeopardized by problems in the family, and it's allowed us to maintain uh, good relationships in the family. Well, that's good. Speaking of your family, your your dad's one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, I was actually, this was years ago, but we were looking for a, a new school in California, and your your dad wanted to meet me down there and go real estate shopping. And uh, I flew. He drove a, a truck, <laughs> as of course Not he did. Not surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. I stayed in a, a hotel. He took a shower there in the yard, and... Uh, when I met him at, at our Mariloma term, terminal that we no longer have, uh, I was a it felt like I was a big shot, you know. And here he is going around picking up trash in the yard, and uh, it's kind of a I've used this example with with my son that hey, if Gene England can pick up after himself, you can too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I've kind of used it as 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 leverage when I get too big for my britches that, Hey, it doesn't matter who you are. You gotta, you gotta work hard and you gotta take pride in your, your, your company and what you do. I can't imagine growing up with him. Uh, is there any, any advice or experience with your dad that stands out as just a life lesson? Like, I know I've got my trash picking moment, but you've got to have a million of those kinds of things that, well, he's the most optimistic person I have ever known. He, and, and he's a, he's a hands-on type person. I mean, he, if there's a job that's got to be done and no one else is there to do it, he'll do it. Uh, I mean, we've got stories that go on and on and on about some of the crazy things he's <laughs> yeah. done over the year uh, years. Uh, one time, uh, uh, he and my brother Corey went down to pick up a, a wreck truck somewhere. It was, it was down in Southern California somewhere, and they were coming back. And uh, this was in the fall going into the winter. And these these trucks were cab overs, and um, one of the trucks the valve hadn't been turned on to uh, allow the the heater to work, and so they they jacked up this this cab over. Uh, this was a couple of hundred miles from home, and and turned on the valves. And then when they 
they dropped the cab back down, uh, the, um, the accelerator uh, linkage didn't work right. So, you, you know, it had brakes and it had a clutch, but the accelerator wouldn't work on the truck. So my dad, he rigged a rope that ran out of the, the door, out the window on his, on his door, down underneath the cab and hooked onto that lever that will allow the accelerator to work. So he drove like two or 300 miles in cold weather with his arm hanging out of the window, uh, you know, yeah. pulling on the accelerator. That's just an example of, of, of how he is. Just no excuses, get it done. Get it done. And, that's, yep. uh, uh, and of course, he's, he's been blessed with miraculous health and with a miraculous memory. This week, we were, uh, I was asking him about um, uh, Carl Moy, or Jerry Moyes, you know, the, the founder of, of Swift Transportation. They, they were always good friends growing up. But uh, I was asking him about, uh, uh, and, and Jerry Moyes' dad is named Carl, who once uh, drove for our company. But I never knew Carl Moyes' parents, even though we grew up in the same little community. I was too young to know him. So I was asking my dad about uh, about Carl Moyes' father, and he said, "Well, he said, well, you know, he wasn't very commercial. I didn't know what that meant, yeah. and I and I said, does that mean he was uh, kind of low maintenance, lived a humble life?" And he said, "Yeah, that's what it was." He said, "You know, but I remember he drove a 1928 Chevy two door. Oh <laughs> uh, it was brown." And it had red uh, spoked wheels on it. He said, "That's you know that was the only time I ever saw a car like that." Bear in mind, this is almost a hundred years ago, and he's re- he's remembering this, and that's how his memory is to this. You know, this was just yeah. this was this uh, was it this week or last week? I think it was last week that he told me that story. Wow! Oh yeah, he's amazing. He's wow. amazing. That that is. Uh... That is pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, he's I mean, also just a—he's a, a, a super generous guy with his time and just his heart. You know, he's not someone who cares about what kind of stripes you have on your shoulder. If you're—if you work for this company, whether it's whether it's you, me, or uh, a maintenance employee, a driver, it doesn't matter. We're all part of the family, and he's really a good example to us for that. So, yeah, he's—he's uh, he's always been. Uh, been very modest in the way he's lived his life in terms of uh, possessions and everything else. It's just the way he's been. Do you share his love for bugles and Mountain Dew as well? <laughs> <laughs> I have never once bought bugles except for him. I bought some for him. I Occasionally I'll buy some for him. That's his go-to, that's right? Not, he, that's he, not he, likes, my... he likes bugles and Mountain Dew when he's oh. on a truck trip? Oh, he does. Yeah. You know, he's uh, now he's... I shouldn't say he's mostly blind, but he can't, you know, he can't see real well. But uh, he's got a favorite grocery store, and uh, he knows right where the Bugles and the Mountain Dew are. So <laughs> he's just fine, thank you. Yeah, well, that's good. Hey, so uh, I've had the opportunity uh, working here to get involved in the One Initiative. Uh, you know, one of the Democrats in the office, you know, we like to help out, sir. But uh, but at the uh-huh. same time— I guess that means nobody else does. No, Is that no, what that's not no. what I'm saying. But uh, some of my friends down there at the at the Utah Food Bank say you've been involved with their organization for years. Uh, I believe. I mean, not only are we providing a load for a hungry child, but you you've been personally involved in the food bank. Is that right? Well, you know, uh, I, I I was asked one time to be on their board, which I didn't I, I didn't do. I've got 
one of my sons, Zach, is on their board. Yeah. Uh, my brother Jeff is on their board. But uh, what I've enjoyed doing over the years is just delivering the food box to, to, to people. And uh, what I typically do uh, is I go over to the food bank and get a couple of two boxes. It usually ends up being four boxes because they, they have other stuff yeah. beyond the, the two boxes. But And I just take it to whoever they ask you to deliver it to. And it's it could be anywhere here in the Valley. And I've just had, uh, over the years, uh, I've had some marvelous experiences interacting with people. And, and you know, it kind of keeps you grounded. As you see, uh, a lot of people who live very humbly, some people, and, you know, generally they're older people, uh, you see a lot of people who... They really don't have anybody, don't have any family. Uh, uh, even in spite of that, some of them are very optimistic and, you know, kind of build you up as you go to. Yeah. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a great experience for me in my life. Yeah, it's one of my diff- most, sorry, one of my most favorite things about this company. I just want you to know that. Oh, Carol's, Carol's been a, uh, a food bank uh, volunteer for maybe not as famous as you, but no. she's been over there for a long time doing yeah. that kind of stuff. and. And, you know, my role, I get to embarrass people through food drives and that kind of thing. Yes. I love nothing more than helping feed hungry kids and doing some things that uh, it can embarrass my fellow coworkers. I love but, it so much that I take the grandkids now. Well, so I, I used to take the kids. I used to take the kids. And now, you know, they, they got better things to do, I guess. I don't know. Well, but now we, we take the grandkids. And that's a marvelous experience, mm-hmm. for, again, for them to see people who uh, are living under tough circumstances generally. Uh, a good percentage of them have ill health, and uh, it's it's fun to try and bring them a little, yeah, uh, comfort for a few minutes or not comfort, but uh, uh, just uh, some recognition and uh, and just yeah. friendship. Yeah, Re- reason I br- I bring it up, you know, our drivers they get to pick where when they deliver low they get to pick you know where we donate a meal to what food bank. Uh, but they don't have the luxury like some of us that work here in the office. We can go over to the food bank and we can see our donations at work and we can help deliver the food to kids. I go to I go to actually uh, some of the kids' cafes and, and I'm a monitor, but watch, you know, the, the money we provide, feed all these kids. And, you know, they're making fun of me for being an old fat bald guy and, and there's a little kid. But these guys wouldn't have had a meal without anything. And it tied it all together for me. Uh, I wish, I wish, you know, maybe someday we can find a way to share some of those experiences with our drivers. But hopefully, hopefully they know that when they deliver a load, it's actually making a difference. I've, I've been able to see, you know, a young man eat a hamburger that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to have if we weren't involved in this awesome cause. And I, I know it's, I know it's important to your family, but uh, I think it's important to our, our whole family, the Englanders. You well, know. that's right, and I, I'm sure. You know, we've got employees, office employees and drivers who, who may have grown up under tough circumstances and who would have really appreciated, you know, somebody helping them with a meal. And, uh, and so I hope all of our drivers, when the opportunity arises to designate which food bank they would like our meal to go to, that they'll take advantage of that opportunity. And, and there may be times when we can get our drivers more involved firsthand, up front uh, on that. Okay, well, we don't we don't have a ton of time left for you, but I got a couple of fun questions for you, Dan. Before we before we cut you loose, uh, in Chad's office, there's a great picture of you and your wife Jan. Uh, you're <clears throat> probably in your early twenties. You're a lot younger 20s. than you are today. Yeah, uh, you're fueling a truck. 
And, and my question is, how did you convince such a beautiful woman to marry? You must have some sales background somewhere in there. Well, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I spotted her at an event up at the, up at the uh, Huntsman Center at the University of Utah. <clears throat> she was in a singing group, and that's where I uh, saw her, and uh, I was able to get acquainted with her. But, but as far as the, the trucking thing, uh, after my um, first year of um, law school, boy, we really needed to make money. We, we were living very humbly in a small apartment, and so I decided I was going to drive a truck for the summer, and uh, she was working in a bank. She'd already, uh, well, she had one year left of college, but, uh, and so I was going to be gone the whole summer driving, and she was going to be working in the bank. And so I, the idea came to me, hey, why don't I have her teach her how to drive, and this was before CDLs, but uh, teach her how to drive, and uh, so I did that, and uh and so we spent the summer driving all around the country. You guys, you guys drove team. We drove team. And I had she, no idea. And it was, it was oh yeah, she. Uh, it was funny because uh, it's not funny from maybe her standpoint, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I tend at night. I tend to get a little sleepy, you know, and and so she'd drive at night a lot of the times uh, because she was more alert and nervous, and and then during the day she'd stay up and talk with me most of the time. So. You know, it so was poor Jan was fatigued. Huh? Yeah, she was fatigued, so I had to make sure she got enough sleep. But uh, but we had a we had a wonderful experience. Uh, I remember one time I was we were going up the East Coast, and um, <clears throat> she was driving. It was during the day, and I was in the sleeper. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, I I heard her yell out to me like uh, something like, uh, "Where do I go?" And I opened the curtain to the sleeper. And uh, and there I saw the United States Capitol building. Now in those days, you could drive right past with a semi truck. It's like right on Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, just right oh. there. And I, you know, I thought, what? Where in the world are we? And why are we here? You know. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> we always laugh about that experience, as to wondering how in the world she got a truck right there. But uh, uh, yeah, it was great. She's played a big role in your career, and and. And helping your sons, I assume, in our organization? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's always been so supportive. I mean, uh, you know, her, uh, her father was, uh, um, he worked for the phone company back in the day. And, you know, he was, and he was a great guy. But he was like an, an eight to four type guy or a nine to five type guy. And so, you know, never worked on weekends or in the evening. So it was a kind of a tough adjustment for her to be married to a guy who was working a Oftentimes late, and and oftentimes on Saturdays, Uh, but she, you know, she adjusted to it. Always been supportive. The fact that our four, uh, our four kids, our four sons are involved in the business helps a lot too. But uh, she's always been, always been very supportive. Well, that's great. Well, our audience knows. I got, I got one loaded question for you. You can, you can say something or, or not, but. Our audience knows your four boys from our safety meetings, and they go out and travel on town halls, all those kinds of things. But what were they like when they were younger? Did you have a really naughty one that stands out in your mind? Uh, well, they all had their own individual uh, <laughs> And traits. I apologize to Josh, Chad, Zach, and TJ. Well, Chad's, uh, uh, Chad's the oldest, and he was, he was always the biggest tease, especially uh, with, I can see that. with our youngest son, TJ. But he loved teasing him. But, uh, 
But Chad was always good, even as a little kid. You could always reason with him. I mean, he wasn't, if he was doing something he shouldn't be doing or we advised something else, you could sit down and reason with him. Now, Josh. See, he's my boss, and I, I don't know if I reason well with him. He just tells me. <laughs> I don't think that's Chad. He just tells me. I'll have to do. say, hey, your dad said you were reasonable, Chad. <laughs> I don't uh, think that has anything to do with Chad. Uh, Maybe uh, you. Uh, Josh, he's always been a real straight arrow, you know, but uh, one of his hallmarks was he was stubborn. When he was just a little tiny kid, it'd take him 10 minutes to put his socks on in the morning because if you didn't get them exactly right, you were starting over. And that stubbornness has led to a real determination in oh, him. Oh, yeah. So that's, you know, we laugh about him when he was little, but uh, I think some of those traits he showed then have, have really benefited still, him now. He's probably stubborn yeah. still today, yeah. Now, Zach, our third son, he was our most mischievous child. He, uh, See, I would have, I would have picked, I would have picked Chad or TJ. Uh, no, it, well, no, it was, it was Zach. Uh, clearly, <laughs> Zach. yeah, you know better clearly. than me. He <laughs> would, uh, good for Zach. He, he would drive his mother absolutely crazy, where I was always amused by him. So okay. yeah, I got a big kick out of him, and uh, uh, he's, you know, he's a real people person. And uh, anyway, he's, he's been great. Uh, TJ, uh, when he was, and he was. The other three were each were two and a half years apart. TJ came along as a caboose four years later, and uh, he had a two-inch flat top that, boy, he, you know, people would uh, would always comment on that, but, uh, uh, and he has a great personality. He's the most outgoing of my sons. Uh, I think my three older sons uh, kind of uh, took after me, maybe a little more reserved, but he is got my wife written all over him. I mean, he's really outgoing and got a great personality. So that's my remembrances of those kids. Well, it sounds like they're good boys. They're they're good to work they're, for today. They're knuckleheads, but yep. they're great, great boys. Well, and we're, uh, we're appreciative of what they do for, for all of us. But uh, we're, we're running close on your time. Uh, you probably have uh, another meeting to go to. But as we close this down, you know, our, our audience is primarily – our driving force, but a lot of our office employees. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with them to close the interview out? You know, um, as I, I think I mentioned this morning, my brothers and I were together just at 8 o'clock this morning, work, starting to work on the history of the company during our time. And uh, we had a bunch of, uh, everyone's familiar with the roundtables, the, uh, uh, what came along before the roundtable is called the England Examiner. And we were looking from these, looking through these England Examiners and then roundtables dating from 1980. Yeah. And in that, as we were going through them, we were struck this morning looking at the names of all the people who have meant so much to us over all these years. You know, office people, drivers, it just, you know, those people came, so many of them came, left their mark on the company, uh, helped us become... <clears throat> the company we are today, and then you know, then they retired and went on and or went on and did something else. And so, uh, as I thought about that in the context of the current times, we have the same thing now. We have you, Carol, all the other people that are around us who have done so much for the company and continue to do so much for the company. So you know, we're <clears throat> we're forever grateful for what everybody does and. You know, our drivers out on the front line, as I mentioned, this truck trip I had, I was just, I was just incredibly um, 
just taken back by the traffic and the congestion and how long it takes you to get from here to there and to think of our drivers dealing with that almost every oh, yeah. day it uh, <clears throat> it just makes me incredibly uh, grateful for them and for all of our employees because it's a team effort uh, people in the office and people on the road to get it done so thanks to all of you it's not gone unnoticed okay well we we appreciate you coming here you are our first guest on the red truck rendezvous so uh you can add that to your resume next to chairman of the ata uh just keep patting it year after year thanks very much and uh we'll uh we'll be back here soon okay yeah. been fun thanks dan thanks dan we'll be right back after this distracted driving commercial when we think of distracted driving we may just think of looking and attending to our phones. But did you know that there are three types of distracted driving? The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration identified three types of driver distractions. The first is visual tasks, which is anything that causes the driver to divert their attention from the road. This can be something as simple as checking the GPS. The second driver distraction is a manual task which is something that requires a driver to remove one or both hands from the steering wheel. Reaching for a drink or food, grabbing your wallet, turning on the AC, or changing the radio station are all examples of distracted manual tasks while driving. The third driving distraction type is cognitive tasks, causing the driver's mind and focus to wander to something besides the task of driving. Talking to another passenger, being preoccupied with family or personal matters, and setting voice commands to your hands-free device are all various cognitive tasks that could distract you while driving. Texting while driving is especially dangerous because it combines all three types of distraction. Knowing this, how do you avoid common distractions while driving? Here are a few tips. Number one, turn off your cell phone or Put it out of reach. If you need to be reachable, use a hands-free device in emergencies only. Number two, when driving with others, make sure everything is situated in the vehicle before you start driving. Number three, eat before or after you drive. If you're hungry, it would be a good time to stop and take a break. Number four, get directions before you go. If you're using a CMV-approved GPS, ensure it is programmed before the vehicle moves. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Or uh, Dan has left the building. That was amazing. That was fun, huh? That was amazing, yeah. Yeah, it's fun to sit sit down with Dan and watch him put some, some headphones on. And uh, uh, I think having to look across at me he was kind of nervous about what i could potentially <laughs> ask him but Most people uh, would be. but uh i had no idea that 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 dan and jan team drove in a summer i think that's fantastic yeah uh like i said i i've known him obviously for 10 years because i worked here but like to know those details about him yeah. and the family is uh super interesting and he's 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 an amazing guy uh we, we plan on talking to a lot of amazing people, though. In the future, we're going to bring in uh, some of our senior drivers and ask them about their stories and lives on the road. We have other uh, 
uh, leaders in the company and, and managers of different areas that uh, will be able to provide our drivers and our office employees additional insight as to things that are going on in the future and 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 some of the obstacles we face. Uh, uh, so it should be good. But as far as the first episode, uh, I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I did because yeah, it was great. It was fun. So, so uh, as as we wrap up, you know, today's our, our first episode was was kind of sponsored by Distracted Driving. You've heard a couple of commercials, and Carol and I talked about it before. We're not going to go really deep into it uh, any any more, other than. If you can make the commitment not to drive distracted anymore and just and just make a commitment to yourself that you're going to stop, everyone has to get to a point in their life where they say, okay, enough's enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. It actually takes discipline, especially when you're on the road for, for you know, a long amount of time. Uh, we would really appreciate it. The public appreciates it, and it's the right thing to do. So if we can get anything done today, that's uh, – that's that's probably the most important, but it was awesome to be able to share a little bit of our our Dan uh, with everybody. Uh, really good guy, uh, super proud to work for for him and and the company that that he's helped grow and, and built. So, thanks everyone. Uh, we'll have another episode here soon, Carol. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. You are the best co-host we could ask for. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see you next time. Talk to you later.